Well, my name is David Womack. I have the privilege of working with Randall House Publications. Been with them about 13 years now. Uh, my last pastorate was up in the Chicago area, and I've been with them now for about 13 years. And I, I get to work with churches and individuals uh, promoting and resourcing discipleship. And so we have books, we have a curriculum, and everything that we do is, is all about discipleship and especially trying to disciple the church and the home working together to bring that about. I want to thank you for being involved in your church and in your church's ministry because they couldn't do what they do without you. And obviously you care about that or you wouldn't be in a, in a setting like this. And so thank you for what you're doing and I know that that means a lot to your churches and to your homes for your concern and your care about discipleship. We want to talk here for a few moments about rethinking discipleship. I mean, discipleship is not anything new. Uh, we've all, you know, in church grown up hearing about discipleship. We know about discipleship. Our churches do various things to try to facilitate discipleship. And so this is not anything new for us, but sometimes you just have to kind of stop and rethink what you're doing and rethink what you're trying to accomplish. Change always begins with how we think about something. In fact, if you look at the biblical definition for repentance is to change your mind. Uh, so, I mean, that's easy for us to understand. Like, if, if I'm doing something that I know is not right, then I have to change how I think about that before I'm going to change my behavior in, in that. So, change always begins in how we think. So let's start with what is a disciple? I think that's a fair question for us to ask. If we're going to talk about discipleship, then we need to understand what a disciple is. What is it we're trying to duplicate here in discipleship? And of course, the definitive passage for that is going to be in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, the words of Christ Himself. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So from this text, it's very clear to us that a disciple is basically a follower of Jesus Christ and His teachings. So discipleship is following Christ, His teachings, and helping others to know and follow Christ. Now, we're all pretty good at following ourselves. I mean, I kind of like my ideas. And I happen to agree with all of my opinions. You know, we, we don't have any trouble in following our own directives, our own ways, our own ideas of how things should be. And so we have to learn how to follow Christ. It doesn't just come natural or automatic for us. Uh, the Holy Spirit begins that work in us upon conversion. Whenever we, we repent of our sins in our lives, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, then His Spirit begins to do a work in us. We are born into God's family, and in His infinite wisdom, He works through us because He wants us to be involved in discipling others. So it's an ongoing teaching, modeling, encouraging process. Discipleship has always been God's heart for His people. That we would learn to know Christ 
and to follow his teachings. Uh, in fact, discipleship is not a New Testament concept. We can go back to the original discipleship plan in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And again, this is from God. This is what he shared there on the mount. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now catch where he goes with this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's discipling. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So, I mean, we get the, the idea that he's talking about, you know, pretty much all the time. Every opportunity you have. You're taking advantage of the teachable moments, but you're also creating opportunities that you can talk to your children about your relationship with God. He starts off by saying, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then as you are growing in that, then you are teaching that, you are sharing that, you are modeling that for your children in every opportunity that you absolutely can throughout life, doing life together in home. And he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Everything about our homes should be part of the discipling process. We're pointing our families to know Christ, to follow Christ, and to follow His teachings. So this is discipleship. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. And it's very interesting to us for us to notice this. Uh, some translations use the word impress them on your children, teach them to your children. This, we're talking about the same concept. Uh, you'll notice in God's original discipleship plan, it was the responsibility of the parents and the grandparents to disciple their children. And they were supported by their community of faith, which was the nation of Israel. Now, in our context today, the support comes from the church. The, the church is our supporting community of faith. But responsibility goes to mom and dad and the grandparents to disciple their families. So we want to rethink this discipleship process of what we've seen. Uh, most of you probably grew up like I did at church. You go to church, you go to Sunday school, uh, you know, and that's, that's just kind of part of life and how you do things. Uh, but something has, has happened through the years and we've gotten away from God's original discipleship process. With each passing generation, uh, we're, we're just kind of losing something. We've not been doing this very well. And, and that's easy to see because it's manifested in multiple ways. We are seeing a growing number of good Christian families with prodigal children. We see that. A growing number of adult children who grew up in a Christian home, who grew up in church, but that now they show no interest in God, the Bible, or the church. There is a decline in values that we see in, in, uh, in our world today. Honesty, modesty, morality, these things have been eroding. 
And we see an increase in toleration and acceptance of things that don't align with biblical doctrine and values. And more and more young people are deconstructing their faith. And we see that all around us. Uh, we know people that fall in one of these categories, or, or maybe we have someone in our own family that's in one of these categories. But something has happened. There's been a breakdown of discipleship along the way. So let me identify a couple of problems that have really hurt us and has made discipling very difficult. And this kind of helps explain how we got to where we are. The roles of the church and home have changed over the years. And in most cases, they've, they've actually reversed roles. The home used to be, the home was originally designed to be the forefront of discipleship. Uh, where we learned values, where we learned respect, where we learned honesty, where we learned our manners and, and so forth, where we heard parents pray and read the Bible. You see, that was God's original plan for discipleship. It's centered in the home. But something has happened in how the church has, has done that. We've seen a reversal of the roles. The church is no longer in the forefront. Now, I mean, the home is no longer in the forefront. Now the church is in the forefront. Most church attending parents rely heavily, if not solely, on the church to teach their families about God and His Word. So, I mean, so we, we, we've, we've gotten away from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we have outsourced discipleship to the church, if you will, or to the youth group, or to the children's pastor. Parents are, <clears throat> are looking for someone else to do the discipling. Well, that's a problem. There's a, there's a major breakdown in that. Now, I have six grandchildren. Uh, you have grandchildren, it helps you, you recognize the wisdom of God that uh, you have grandchildren when you're older. You, you don't have... You know, you don't have children when you're older. It's just, it's hard on you. Our kids, our grandkids come, they'll be at the house. We love every minute we spend with them. When they leave, we're exhausted. And we start cleaning house, you know, because they've been there. When they're small, you know, they got to eat and you got to feed them. I prefer, I will take the time, I will sit down and I will spoon feed that child to avoid this. I mean, I don't like this. This, this is a mess. Uh, but you know, it's not good for that child if I always spoon feed them. I mean, they've got to learn how to feed themselves. And it is messy business. And you do have to clean up behind them. But it's just natural. You have to let a child learn how to feed themselves. We can't do it for them all the time. Uh, somewhere along the line, we've kind of gotten that confused. As ministry has been handed down from generation to generation through the years, we have misunderstood how God intended discipleship to be done. And in most cases, we've drifted further and further away from it. And we are expecting someone to spoon feed us what we know about God and His Word instead of doing some of the work ourselves and getting into the Word. And that has just caused some of the breakdown. Now, when you notice this, the first three verses here 
show us God's heart for His people. Now at the point when God delivered this to the nation Israel, He had delivered His people from Egyptian bondage. He had brought them to the threshold of a new homeland. He was giving them a new beginning and a new place. It was move-in ready. He gave basic instructions for how they were to enjoy their new home because He wanted to bless them for a long time, for multiple generations. Just look at these verses and count the generations that are mentioned here. Uh, he speaks about you and your sons and your sons' sons. And, and we understand that that could have just carried on and on and on and on what God is implying here. God wants to be engaged with His people for the long haul. He wants to be engaged with your family for multiple generations. He wants you to have a legacy of faith with your family and with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and so it goes. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about generations and how God is involved in multiple generations in what He is doing. Now, the first few verses here are God's instruction, one of the most sacred passages to the Jewish people, uh, even to this day, is known as the Shema, which means to hear and be attentive. It is a very simple plan. Love God, love His Word, teach your children to do the same. I mean, that's God's plan. That's it in a nutshell. Now, if Israel had done that, then they would not have needed this. And it's very interesting following right in the next few verses, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full. And notice what he says. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. Now after God has done all this for, the, for His people, and He says, and I'm bringing you into this land that I'm giving you, and it's moving ready for you, and when you've eaten and you're full, and you push back from the table, that's when you want to be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I believe the biggest single failing of most Christians is forgetting God. Now, not forgetting that He exists and not forgetting who He is, just neglecting to remember Him in a way that impacts everything that I do. Forgetting to invite Him into my daily life and everything that I'm doing. See, my biggest challenge is, is keeping David straight. I mean, that, and that's my number one assignment to try to keep David, you know, in the right frame of mind about things. Uh, my biggest challenge is to live my life every day in step with God. And it's easy to get out of step with God. And so the Lord, He gave this commandments. He, he gave out these responsibilities to parents. And He says, you know, and you need to do this so you don't forget the Lord and you get out of step with Him. But what happens more often than not is we just get so busy in our day-to-day -day that we just kind of lose touch with the presence of God. You know, we can be so busy in our day that we forget God is right there with us. 
We can forget His Holy Spirit is trying to guide us through that day. We can be so busy, so involved in what we're doing. We've got people to meet, places to go, and all that's going on in life can be so hectic. And especially if you're in the parenting years when you've got little ones or you've got teenagers, your life is a blur. And it is so easy to just forget the presence of God, which is what we so desperately need. And that has contributed to the role reversals with the church and with the home. And we're simply too busy to do at home what we think the church can do for us, which is discipling our families. And I'm telling you, churches have to be careful because they can be one of the main contributors to all this busyness. And we have to keep that in mind as well. Well, now, what does this picture make you think of? That's fast food. It's not very healthy, not very good for us. Uh, that reminds us that we're living busy lives. You know, I'll just zip through the drive-thru on the way home, grab something, or I'll order a pizza and have it delivered. And, you know, that's, we're going to plop down in front of the TV and we're going to kind of chill for a little bit. Uh, that, that's kind of normal in life, but it's not very good for us. Now, this picture probably is equally unhealthy, but, you know, I'm thinking about this, and it's, that's, you know, that reminds me of home. And it is amazing that in almost every culture, we can associate certain meals with home. There's some, there's some foods that, you know, if you smell it, or you see it, or you taste it, you, you think about home. There's something about home, and, and that's good for us. Where can families best understand and learn what it means to be a follower of Christ? Is it going to be in a church setting a couple of times a week with people that you may not be very close to, or is it going to be in your own home with your own family that you live with every day? You see, I, I used to think that the church was God's love lab, if you will. That's where we learned how to love one another was in church. And, and we do to an extent. But you know, it's the home where we really learn how to love one another. Um, you know, if you can survive those adolescent years without killing your siblings, you know, you can learn to love them, you know. And I think that's how God wanted it to be all along. God wants families to, to be engaged in each other's lives, to love one another. And, and then that love can outflow into the church and into the community. That's what God intended for us all, all along. We have a t-shirt, you know, there at, at D6 that we like to use. And it's 1 over 168. Does anybody know what that shirt means? I saw your shirt earlier, yes. 168 hours in a week, on average, most people probably get about one hour of discipleship. Well, on the back of the shirt it says it's not enough. Now, that does not mean we need to go to church more, okay? You cannot go to church enough to be effectively discipled. You don't want to go to church enough to be effectively discipled. We need to pick it up at the home. 
We need to take advantage of all those hours that we can engage with our families in our home setting with those people that we know the best, those people that we love, those people that we know love us and care about us. That's where discipleship can be most effective. And that's the D6 discipleship philosophy in a nutshell. Getting back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, family discipleship. That does not exclude the church by any stretch. But it does shift responsibility back to the parents and grandparents to be the primary disciplers in their family. And it calls the church to view their ministry differently as well. They become the supporters, the equippers, uh, the encouragers for the families. So we have to think differently about discipleship. We've got to take time and just look at what we're doing. How effective is it? And are we aligning with what God teaches us in His Word? Rethinking discipleship, the roles of the church and the home. We, figure out, we have to figure out how to change things. How to change the thinking in our church and the thinking of our parents in the churches. One of the things that we try to encourage churches when we're talking to teachers and pastors and such, and they're saying, hey, what can we do to, to kind of, you know, boost our Sunday school or whatever? One of the most important things a teacher can do, I don't care what age you're teaching, preschoolers, elementary, whatever, is figure out a way that you can connect with their parents. Because you want to become their biggest cheerleader, and you want to become their equipper, and you want to give them whatever tools you can to help them uh, do the task that God gave them in the home. And so in our churches, we have to start thinking differently about, okay, we're not trying to do everything for the family. We're trying to help the family grow into their responsibilities. And so that's a different way of thinking about things. And so we need to Learn how to think D6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So here are the three problems that have really hindered us in discipleship. The roles of the church and home have been misunderstood and reversed. There is inadequate training for discipleship in the church and in the home. I mean, let's just be honest. You know, if we get back to the Deuteronomy 6 philosophy... That means a lot of churches have to relearn, you know, how to do discipleship and what they're doing. And these are compounded by busyness at both church and at home. And each of these problems feed the other. And so this is what is working against us. Uh, this just naturally comes into play. And so how do we change it? I think that rethinking discipleship begins with us taking ownership. You know, we're a broken people living in a broken world that wants to break our children and break our homes. And we all contribute to that brokenness in our own broken ways. That's where we are. Before I will do anything differently, I have to own the problem as my problem. I have to see that it affects me. It affects my family. It affects my ministry. You may not be dealing with the effects of dysfunctional discipleship in your own family, but I promise you there are families in your church who are. 
we can share statistics and stories all day long. But until I see how it touches me and my family, it's only going to be a passing thought. We have to own it before we'll really think differently about how to change it. These, these are three of the most important people in my life. These are my daughters, Tara there in the middle. There's Taylor on the far side and Tana here. Love my girls dearly. I promise you, I think about discipleship very differently now than I did 35 or 40 years ago. You see, if, if these three girls are not discipled, that's my problem. That's very much my problem. And I've got to own that if I'm ever going to do anything about it. So you put the faces up here of your children and your grandchildren and the people you love and understand this fact that if they are not discipled well, that's your problem. And it affects you. It affects them. So we've got to start by owning the problem. It's not for somebody else to do. This is for me to do. And that's how we've got to view this. We've got to own the responsibility of it. I remember several years ago, I was visiting Nashville before I lived in Nashville. And a friend of ours who was there was showing us around and we pulled out to one intersection. It was pretty busy. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching, I'm waiting for a break. And he says, listen, David, so you're not in the country anymore, buddy, you gotta go. And that's what we've got to do. We've just got to grab the bull by the horns and we gotta do something. I mean, we can't wait for the perfect opportunity. It's never going to come. We can't wait for the most appropriate or convenient time to do something. It's never going to come. We've got to own the responsibility that I've got to do something, and I've got to do something now. It's on me. The problem is real. It affects me. It affects the people I love. I've got to own that responsibility. And the families in your church need you to own that responsibility, not only for yourself, but also to help them. And we've got to encourage each other that, hey, you need to do something here. There's something God would have you do to try to help and correct this issue. We do the possible, and God does the impossible. Amen? All we can do is the possible, but only God can do the impossible. And so, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to own the problem. We've got to own the responsibility. We've also got to own the possibilities of what God can do. We, we just have to walk in, in the faith and the hope that God is absolutely in control of all things. So rethinking discipleship begins with three realizations. These are three motivations for us. It is my problem. I have to do something and God will help me. It's my problem, it's, it's my family, it's my children, it's my church. Now, that can be very discouraging when things are not what they ought to be. I have to do something. That's very challenging and intimidating. It can be paralyzing for us. But God will help me, and I want to tell you that's very encouraging. And that's very motivating for us. So how do we make the needed change? 
There is a very popular management and leadership mantra. Change is a process, not an event. We all understand that change usually comes in small intentional steps in the right direction. There's also a, a, a very important truth that discipleship is a lifestyle. It's not an event. We host the D6 conference every year. And, and that's a training, coaching, encouraging. That's not a, a discipleship event. You're not going to be discipled because you went to the D6 conference. Now, hopefully you're encouraged. Hopefully you're motivated. Hopefully you're equipped. And in, you know, but you're not discipled by going to an event. You're not discipled by just reading a book. You're not discipled by going to a small group Bible study. You're not discipled just because you go to church. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Uh, you go back to what God said in Deuteronomy 6. You teach them when you're rising up, when you're lying down, when you're going by the way. It's a lifestyle that we are following the Lord and we're teaching our families how to follow us as we follow the Lord. That's the plan. Discipleship is lived out moment by moment. It's not about any singular event at church or anywhere else for that matter. So what if we begin thinking differently about discipleship and we begin doing some things differently? If we begin developing some new habits and some new actions and methods, uh, what are some small steps that we can take today to influence generations to come? Small steps that could pay huge dividends. Uh, every great venture begins with a thought. And then a first step. So how effectively we disciple our families and, and others depends on how we think about discipleship. And at D6, that's why we exist. And that's why we do what we do. Uh, we have kind of a saying that building believers through church and home because we do believe the two work together. Uh, we believe, again, that the church is called to be the supporter and the equipper, uh, the encourager. We believe that you need Sunday school, you need small group studies. These things are all great. But we also know that you have to have in the back of your mind that everything we're doing, especially in our adult, adult ministries, we're doing to equip. But even when we think about our teens and we think about our elementary students, everything we do, we're doing to equip them so that they're not spoon-fed what they need to believe, but that they, they have skin in the game, if you will. They've learned how to read their Bibles. They've learned how to understand, how to hear from God themselves. We have a curriculum, the D6 curriculum. We're just launching our newest iteration, D6 Everyday Foundations. And the keystone components of that curriculum, we have everything for the classroom in the teaching essentials. And it breaks it down. It takes a teacher step by step how to teach the lesson. We provide that teacher with various tools that they can use to push home to the parents so that they can be that supporter, that equipper, that encourager. We also provide devotional study guides for every member of the family, for every age group. And so what that does is our youngest ones, it's teaching them the importance of a daily time with God and His Word. 
the statistics on what difference it makes when people engage with God in His Word at least three times a week will blow your mind. It makes a difference. And so we want to teach from that youngest age, hey, you can have a daily quiet time with God. It may not take three, five minutes, but you're going to engage every day with God and with His Word. You're going to give Him an opportunity to speak to you. And it's so designed so that the devotions follow up what was taught in the Sunday lesson. And here's the, here's the great thing about it. From elementary age all the way up through adults, we're all on the same theme every week. So, instead of getting in the car, driving home after church, and mom or dad saying, well, what did you study in class today? And they say, well, Jesus, you know. You know what they studied because it's the theme or the passage you studied. Your devotions are going to follow the same track, their devotions. And so that just kind of makes it easy for you to talk about God and His Word and what you're hearing from God as you're getting up in the morning, as you're laying down at night, as you're going by the way. You see, by using that, you have equipped parents and how they can engage in the original discipleship plan God gave in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's just one way of doing it. There are so many things that we can do if we just start thinking a little differently about it. But I want to tell you the battle is won or lost in the home. And the devil is real and he is fighting against the home. And he wants to do everything he can to break up the home. Home is where we learn to love each other. We God said, love me with all your heart and teach your children to do the same thing. Home is the love lab. It's where we learn to love. It's where we learn to love like God loves. And the devil is against that. And so that's our greatest tool and weapon, and we want to leverage that. We want to use that. Love is a lifeline stronger than any other you'll know. And that's what we want to leverage and utilize. And so we want to encourage parents and grandparents, and we want to equip them with things they can use so that they can get engaged in having conversations with their children about God and His Word. And it's just that simple, just having conversation, just talking about it. You don't have to give them a sermon. I mean, you don't have to break into a dissertation. You know, it's just simple things like, hey, in the devotion today, you know, it kind of struck me when God said this. You know, what, what did you think about that? And then listen to them. Give them a chance to tell you what they're hearing. It may surprise you sometimes they're hearing from God a little better than you are. So, I mean, we've just got to get back to God's plan and just do it God's way. And God can bless that immeasurably.